Welcome back to a Mental Moment Podcast. On today's episode, we continue discussing how we can combat sexual assault and domestic violence within our communities. We understand the difficulty in today's topic and we respect the views of our listeners. If for any reason this is a difficult conversation for you, we advise you to partner up with someone and have this conversation with them and to also listen to this episode at your leisure. We respect the views and opinions affected in this matter and encourage those to seek professional help. It's time to have a mental moment with Jaya and C. Tune in now. You don't want to miss it. A mental moment. All you need is a mental moment. Take a breather before you blow it. Don't hold it in. Posture or pretend. Just release and you feel far better within. A mental moment. Hey, all you need is a mental moment. A mental moment. With Jaya and C. Today, we hear from Ms. Dorian Johnson, who works in higher education as a violence prevention educator for Spelman College. In her professional career, she's the project coordinator for the Spelman College Violence Prevention and Intervention Program. The VPN&I program addresses sexual assault, dating and domestic violence, and stalking on campus by creating a systematic sustainable change. Prior to Spelman, Dorian worked for North Carolina Central University, where she served as a crisis intervention specialist for the Women's Center. Dorian is also the founder of a digital media platform that seeks to educate and empower, which leads to effective change. The Femi Focus began in 2013 and empowers women from every walk of life through curated content from Instagram to a podcast to YouTube. Dorian is passionate about advocating for women's rights and wellness by using the Femi Focus as her vessel. She has been given opportunities to speak on women's empowerment panels, as well as facilitate workshops for a variety of conferences geared towards women's and girls. She lives by the quote, I don't proclaim to have all the answers, know all the facts, or have experienced it all, but I seek to empower Empowerment is a process of change. Then it becomes a meaningful concept. Again, we welcome Ms. Dorian Johnson. For those who have undergone some sort of trauma or who has undergone some sort of sexual assault, from a friend's point of view, how can we be more supportive of them? I think the first thing a friend can do when somebody discloses any type of violence and specifically we're speaking on sexual assault is we start by believing. And that's one thing we say in the work is you want to start by believing. You don't often ask the questions of why were you there and why did you have this on and you didn't know this person or were you drinking or were you smoking or doing anything like that? You want to start by believing because one thing we don't understand and coming from a trauma-informed lens is that when somebody does disclose, that takes a lot, right? And it can be kind of heavy for a person. And so when somebody is deciding to make you that trustworthy person that they can talk to and go to about a situation, then we have to initially start by believing all of the questions about the who, what, when, where, why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's unnecessary. And honestly, it would only suit a person if were talking to campus officials or if you're wanting to go to law enforcement about it but everything else is just simply being there being that shoulder to cry on being that listening ear and just coming with empathy and understanding Mm -hmm. 
like kind of taking the judgment out of your tone of voice because a lot of what we say like of course why or that's that can come off very judgmental so mm -hmm. i think just being mindful of how you kind of approach the situation and like you said just be non-judgmental and be a listening ear ultimately so take us through the order of operation so as a friend and helping my friend out in this time and being that support that immediate support who do i call first what do i do first i think a lot of people just think oh let's be really blunt here take a shower or oh yeah let's let's just not let's focus on something else like what do i need to do so that i'm as supportive and i'm actually doing what's right instead of my own ideas of what's supposed to go down Mm -hmm. And I think the thing we have to recognize, too, is in the moment when there, when there's a crisis or when there's chaos, sometimes we may not always think of the right things to do. Mm -hmm. But for friends, yeah. I think it's best to kind of find out what that survivor, what that victim wants to do. Did it, do they want to report? Number one is the question. Right. If they do want to report, then it goes so many steps. So let's go through them. So do they want to report? If they do want to report then that would be contacting law enforcement officials. Then usually there is somebody who, let's say, is, what do they call it, SVU type of investigative officers, officials that will be on a campus. Some campuses have this. Not all campuses may have this person. Mm -hmm. But then that person could escort along with a victim advocate, the survivor, to the hospital to get a rape kit done. If they decide not to report, report anonymously. There's different things that can kind of happen when it when it comes to reporting but um mm -hmm. finding out exactly what what your friend wants to do do they want to report or do they not want to report you mentioned um taking a shower whether that's something that they should necessarily do or something that a friend suggests well that's going to depend because it depends on exactly what it is they want to do sometimes it's, it's it's said that it's good for a survivor not to take a shower because evidence you know you can get evidence right and right. different things like that or you want to go within 72 hours of an assault and different things like that i'd say whether you take a shower or not if you are interested in reporting and also getting a rape kit done then just head to the hospital a lot of times sometimes in it one thing i would say to not do is to confront whoever that person is that can be something right. that's kind of dangerous yeah. retaliation is big and we know that it's big because if we look at even the hashtags that are circulating again on twitter right now is why mm -hmm. i didn't report Wow. Yeah. Students feel unsafe with coming to upper administration mm -hmm. for fear of what they might look like. Students feel unsafe of reporting because that person who is the perpetrator could be somebody that's popular. They could be in a certain organization, a fraternity on campus, a sorority on campus, different SGA positions that yeah, <laughs> that college yeah. students see yeah, as so yeah. such a big deal in the yes. college world and they are so I can't knock that but you have to just that's something to be aware of and mm -hmm. be vigilant about wow so that's a good point yeah that is a, a great point to be mindful so how do we you know stop this misconception of um pretty much not going to authority Hmm. I mean, like, how do we educate? Is there a because because apparently there's a gap between right. people believing the victim and the survivor or the survivor. Mm -hmm. I personally like to say survivor. So the people believing the survivor or not believing it's like some it's either the authority or the police or whomever just not understanding this is someone in need 
who yeah. has experienced a traumatic situation. So regardless if there are loopholes in the story, mm-hmm. just like the friend's point of view, to just believe it until the full story and the evidence is given. Like, how do we create that trust that mm. is lost right now? I'd say that's where a person like myself as a prevention, as a violence prevention educator, mm-hmm. so prevention education as a person that's an advocate, that's where that training piece comes in, right? So that's where if we're specifically talking about college campuses, that's where mm-hmm. upper administration and law enforcement is getting trauma-informed training. And what that wow. helps them to realize is that they need to use a different lens when they are interacting, investigating, questioning, talking to anything when it comes to somebody that has been victimized. So like I was stating in the beginning, like it's not all of that questioning of the who, what, when, where, why, how. Mm-hmm. Even though for upper administration and for law enforcement, that's necessary but it's right. the manner in which you do it. That saying, like, yeah. it's not what you say, it's how you yeah. say it. Mm-hmm. So right. it, it's something in that manner. It's it's understanding that there's a neurobiology of trauma. So there's different wow. things that happen to each of us that we can't control when we're in traumatic situations. So there's these three kind of things that happen to each of us. And there's three of us on the, on the call. So I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I could be a person that when I experience something traumatic, traumatic as a sexual assault, I could freeze. You could experience something where when you are dealing with a sexual assault, your body is telling you to fight and your brain just works that way to where you fight. The next person could be experiencing something to where they flight, where they run and different Mm -hmm. things like that. So when we think about flight, fright and freeze, those are actions and those are things that our body just innately does and we don't have control over. And so so those are some of the things where if I'm law enforcement or administration and I'm trauma informed, I understand that, okay, yes, this person has been victimized, but just because they didn't run or scream or do anything doesn't mean that they wanted the experience to happen, doesn't mean that they felt like it should have happened or that they didn't care that it was happening. So that's coming from kind of that trauma-informed lens. So that's what I'd say. It's it's the training. It's the education piece that we Mm -hmm. need to have for for administration and for law enforcement so they they understand law enforcement comes from a different framework in their training and they – they aren't very trauma informed at all because that's not that's not what you get when you go through the basic training when you when you're in law enforcement when when it comes to working with the victims it's a different mindset it's a different framework and that's why it's so it's so essential to have victim advocates and just folks on campus that are doing the prevention and education work when it comes to sexual assault dating and domestic violence and also stalking wow take us through what specifically your role like I know you explain your role in like educating higher up basically but how have how has your role that began prior to Spelman College but now at Spelman College how has it changed the framework of the community how have you been a community advocate in really reaching more than just the the gates of Spelman hmm that's a good question I first started my interest peaked well just a little bit of backstory about me. I am a survivor of dating violence in college and as a teenager. So I think that's something that kind of sparked my interest in the work of eradicating this or trying Mm -hmm. to at least because of my experiences. And when I was in grad school studying mental health counseling, we all had a choice on where we wanted to do an internship. And I decided to intern at the YWCA in From there, I was working with victims of sexual assault and domestic violence. I was doing counseling with the kids in the shelters, doing group therapy for the parents, 
different things of that nature. So I first started off in community organizations. So that's where my framework, it's a community-based kind of framework that I, that I come from. Mm-hmm. Higher ed is newer for me. <laughs> and okay. higher ed can be, higher ed can be higher ed because there are systems, right? And right. there's yeah. chains of command and things you have to, to do and talk to and go through in order to help help a student and sometimes I feel limited in the help I can do because it's it's college right and it's a system mm-hmm. and I have to abide by their systems in the community I felt more free and more open right. to doing the things I could do but I love the population of college students right and so I started off in, in community work so what I know I mean what I have a lot of experience in is community advocacy community prevention and education working with different nonprofit organizations that that do and focus on violence against women and so with like beyond Spellman, I know that I want, <laughs> like I want my career and I want who I am to speak at all levels, right? Like wow. not just like, oh, that's what I do for Spellman yeah. in my professional career, but that this as an advocate, as a person that uses their voice and that's not afraid to use their voice, that's who just Dorian is innately and as always, wow. that's who I've always been. And so it's a good question because I've just begun branching the two. So when it comes to my brand, the film focus, and when it comes to Spelman College and mm-hmm. everything I've done prior to Spelman, I've just begun branching the two because I, I, I truly believe that there is a need and it's, it's necessary to to elevate and amplify voices of survivors. And yeah. I want to do that in every way possible. Wow. That's awesome. That's impressive. Yes. Thank you. Wow, that that's, it speaks on the passion that you have mm-hmm. for women and men who experience this awful event. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we thank you for Please that. continue like, using yes. your voice because, I, mean, no, I don't know, I feel like it's a personal, when you've been through it personally, like you, mm-hmm. you it, it comes out so much stronger. Yeah, it's a like, drive, you know. It's a definitely a yeah. drive, and people feed off of that. And the fact that you, you present in the, as this strong leader it just it just speaks volumes and you're well respected thank you all I I, I appreciate that so much that means a lot so we're going to kind of switch gears so now we've kind of spoken on a friend's point of view when Mm -hmm. with someone who's undergone or a survivor who has undergone sexual assault and so next this is more so geared towards the actual victim or the survivor so kind of I guess my question is, or just just some feedback on the victim or the survivor working towards forgiving of self, because mm-hmm. I feel like oftentimes they blame their self and they they mm-hmm. beat their self up. So what what can survivors do to kind of feed their feed positivity to themselves, regardless of what they just undergone? Mm-hmm. I think survivors need to often recognize and or try to recognize that it's not their fault because it's not no matter how many drinks you had, no matter what you were wearing, no matter what time of the day, whether you knew the person or not, it doesn't give it an excuse and it's not a, a, a gateway or an open door for anybody to be assaulted or harmed in any sort of way. So understanding And it's hard, right? Like, let's just be honest. I can tell a person all day to say, oh, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But a person really has to believe that in themselves. And so one of the things I do is kind of diving deep to under to help a person understand help a survivor understand why it isn't their fault. Why, you know, like I said, just because a happened doesn't mean B is bound to happen. And we're kind of 
I think we often have to understand and and victims and survivors have to understand that it's not their fault because we come, we all kind of come from a framework of thinking about we, we, we ask those questions, right? That's that's who we are as humans. Well, why this? Why right. that? Well, something ain't sounding right with the story. We can think about that when we think about justice for Toyin, what's going on right now yes. with the young lady yes. that was 19 years old. Yeah. If we look at it, right, there mm-hmm. are, and I've seen people tweet and say, well, why this? Why that? There's some gaps in the story. And I think that's just who we are as humans. We just right. want to know, well, we, we want to put the pieces together, right? We need to make it yeah. make sense. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always, for survivors, and in my opinion, it doesn't always have to make sense for a person to understand that it's not their fault. And so right. we are naturally people who ask questions and need things to make sense, but the world is not trauma informed. So I'm helping often allowing the, the survivor to understand that their tra- what their trauma has done to them or why just because they made a decision doesn't mean it's okay. And that's the simplest. I know that sounds so simple, but it literally mm-hmm. is just wow. allowing them to see that it is not their fault. Yeah. And let's just, I'm just going to be honest. Like sometimes when it comes to, folks on campuses who do perpetrate violence they often don't know because they don't have the education of understanding that i need to get consent that i need to check in with my partner that i need to make sure that this is okay that just because this person is consenting to one thing doesn't mean they're consenting to another sexual act like it's just that education piece sometimes Let me be honest. There are people out there that's full on perpetrators and and predators. There are people who do that. But a lot of times, sometimes they they aren't. They just don't know. And that's that education piece, because in the black community, I don't know about y'all, but we didn't I didn't grow up talking about sex in the household and what should and should not happen. That kind of, you know. Right, exactly. And my my parents were right. My parents were great parents and did an amazing job with raising Mm -hmm. my siblings and I. But like that was just like that unspoken topic. Like you don't talk about that. You know what I mean? And so and that's a conversation to have with your kids is like or to have with younger siblings or young folk in general is like this is consensual. This is not. This is what you should and shouldn't do. And I think Mm -hmm. that kind of goes back to the point of how we. I don't want to say fix this issue, but how we lessen the percentages, we lessen right. the number of cases and things of that uh-huh. nature. Mm. Wow. That's a good point. I think a lot of what, a lot of what we don't know is like deep rooted. So mm-hmm. of course our parents, like yep. I, I always think about like parents and like upbringings and things of that nature. And so it's literally like, that's where like generational things come into play. Oh, yes. you know, they, they learn from their parents and their parents learn from their parents. And so like, how do you really expect for anyone to fully know unless they've been, they've had the talk? You know mm-hmm. I mean? Or so. oftentimes in communities of color, we'll see that things are swept under the rug. Right. Yes. Um, or we, or we make jokes about being at the family reunion and don't let such and such sit on uncle John, John's lap. Mm-hmm. And we, we oh, don't talk goodness. about right. molestation that's happening in communities of color in families uh, right. of color, black families. But I mean, so it's, it's mm-hmm. things like you said, that generational, we don't talk about this. What happens yes. in this house stays in this house, right? You don't let right. outsiders know what happens and we're going to sweep it under the rug. And what happens, it trickles down from generation to generation to where we are almost crippled and, and express ourselves or standing up for what's right or asking questions to say should somebody be doing that like is this okay it's it's more so to the point of like when do we stop Mm -hmm. this generational 
view of it's not that big of a deal type yes. of conversation and start really I know you talked about the it seems like globally we don't understand how to handle traumatic issues mm-hmm. but At all. more so I it kind of starts and not even a kind of but it starts within the family educate let's educate the parents let's have yeah, a conversation yes. about that first because mm-hmm. let's have a conversation about you know let's instead of just talking about you know the birds and the bees and like that mm-hmm. that conversation never worked out for me okay you know, just be never did blunt. <laughs> just be blunt yeah. and so right okay let's let's talk about sex and the and what could happen and what should not happen and if this does happen but we're also in the midst of intertwining that we're intertwining traumatic issues that can occur whether preparing you for to be that support for your friend or preparing you in case this does happen this is what you should do or let's find ways to avoid and that's even a hard conversation to say of avoidance Mm -hmm. but let's find ways to navigate through this so that when we are confronted we as in the parents it's not like a oh my gosh such and such did this let's push it nobody needs to know close right but instead of like okay let's okay let's educate other people because mm-hmm. clearly we, we weren't educated enough. Exactly. Um, and that kind of, that stops. It, the more you educate um, and people now know, they can't be ignorant to the issues that go on in households globally. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And it's the, the current state that, that we're in now, fingers crossed that we are seeing the, how it is necessity that we educate on eradicating racism right Right. how we need to be more inclusive with with black folks how we need to talk about and have the conversation of what's happening with violence against black women because Mm -hmm. what is liberation without having a conversation and eradicating violence against black women black women who have (laughs) held so much on our backs Mm -hmm. right what Mm -hmm. I mean like there's so much to go into it but yes you're absolutely correct yeah that's wow that's crazy Mm. let's let's i guess how can we how can we move through or navigate the process of avoiding isolation as a survive in a survivor's point of view there are a lot of misconceptions and a a lot of hidden truths in that of wanting to be by themselves or Mm -hmm. not wanting back to what we were just discussing, not wanting to share anything, kind of like, let's just wipe it out of our memory. And even though that's the easiest, that's the most unhealthy thing to do. So how would a person overcome that? That's a good question. I think a lot of times avoidance happens when it comes to survivors is because like we mentioned that folks are blaming themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't really want to be around anybody. I don't want to talk about it because this is my issue. I shouldn't have did this. I shouldn't have did Mm. that. Let me just kind of be alone and see if I can heal or just be alone and kind of really go through the motions. Is there a right or wrong or is there even an answer for that? Mm -hmm. Because we we all kind of deal with trauma differently. And sometimes with the trauma we deal with, it could be something as simple as divorce or when we think about national weather disasters, like trauma affects us in so many different ways. And sometimes it can mentally incapacitate us. Um, Mm -hmm. I would definitely say utilize, utilize, Google, right? If you are a person that does 
want to be left alone and and often sometimes that is not the healthiest but it needs to happen right then look up ways in which that while you are alone you can kind of foster and begin to foster that healing process journal it out if you want to be alone then journal it out right if you don't want to talk about it to anybody then write it down and talk about it to yourself Mm -hmm. write it down or even throw it away Mm. affirmations things of that nature it's difficult because sometimes that alone that alone time is is necessary right right um if it gets to a point where it's it's gone on for a long time and we're completely isolating from the world and our family and friends and everything it is we do then that's something that's something that that needs to be to be I would say addressed but Mm -hmm. that's that's a hard question if I'm honest with you that's a hard question on how a person can and can try to not isolate right you guys that's a good point yeah go ahead no 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 go go for it but no like I was just thinking about I don't think so maybe instead of like wording it as isolation maybe this is like a time to process mm, that's good I yeah, like that I yeah. like that too right because sometimes you really just may not have the energy or to really speak on it but maybe this is a good time to really like recollect and process and just really understand what it is that's happened the type of Mm -hmm. feelings that you felt the type of things that like physical things that you felt like I think I don't know like this is just kind of came to mind but I know like, like with everything that's been going on in the media and of course with you know personal issues like I just I just did not like really speak on it but you know this was the time where I've like right, just really processed and just had mm-hmm. some alone time. I wouldn't say necessarily I isolated, but this was just kind of like a recharge in a way. Process right. and recharge. Right. And I think we kind of do that too in general when we think about like, let's say we got fired from a job. We may do that. We don't really want to talk to anybody. When it comes mm-hmm. to breakups, right? That's something we do. Oh, We're kind of just mm-hmm. like <laughs> processing <laughs> it. Like, yes. I need a moment. I need a moment. But we um, never put the name to it. Mm-hmm. It's always been like, this is just something I'm going through, y'all. Right. I, just, yeah. I need some time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we right. never said, okay, you need some time to process this, boo. Like, that's never been the conversation. And sometimes right. some things just don't need to be said. Yeah. You just do it. And so that, right. that's a great point you both mentioned of like writing it down but what's the what's the power of writing something down and throwing it away Mm. what does that do (laughs) to your side I think you kind of take I think a person takes the power back with that I think it's you're able to to get it out Mm -hmm. you're able to say like even though this existed it doesn't rule me it doesn't control me And whether I burn it or throw it out, I'm, I'm relinquished. Like I'm taking my control back because when it comes to dating and domestic violence, when it comes to sexual assault, it's about control. It's all about power and control. One person has that power and control over another. And oftentimes survivors feel helpless and feel powerless. So Mm -hmm. things, activities that can get your power back is, is, is definitely what something like that can do. That's good. I love I love that metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yes, which that. actually kind of segues into like personal hobbies. How can the survivor be? What can be therapeutic to them? We talk about the the control taking over that control, that power that was once lost. Is mm-hmm. it now we incorporate leadership roles? Maybe not extreme leadership roles, but doing things where we rely on them 
more mm-hmm. so them relying on us some way where they can gain their power like what is that what is what does that look like I mean I don't know I think that it can look like that. I think also a lot of times survivors are able to just be more resilient Mm -hmm. when it comes to support groups. Support groups are so essential because no matter how much of a supportive friend that a, a person can be, if if your if your friend has gone through, if your friend is a survivor and has dealt with a sexual assault, then no matter how supportive a person can be, you're, they're not going to just understand that. Mm, a survivor can often right. feel like people just don't understand. Yes, I have the support of my family members, my partner, my mm-hmm. friends, but they just don't understand. And being in a room and being able to process and talk and analyze certain situations with survivors can often, it's, it's, it's something that's overlooked, but it is so, so, so powerful when it comes to healing and different things of that nature. And yes, perhaps like, Getting back to those hobbies that you used to do can sometimes empower a person and just bring about that sense of control back to their lives. Getting back to old hobbies, different things of that nature. But yeah, it can it can be often leadership positions. If we're talking about college students, it can be leadership positions. There's 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 a number of things for sure. But I would say one thing that comes to mind when it comes to healing and gaining that control back is definitely a support group and talking with somebody and therapy mm, yes. it can work yes of it course can. <laughs> it can Definitely. work if you work it yeah <laughs> no, that's, that's right that's right we're gonna kind of segue into like the second part of the discussion the educational point of view what are some hidden truths um behind the, the people who have undergone it and like what are those like i don't know myths mm-hmm one of the myths that kind of comes to mind that just pops out right now is that people always think that when it comes to any type of violence against women, that it's a stranger. When it comes to stalking, it's just a person in the bushes, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes yeah, that's to the illustration, exactly. right? Exactly, somebody <laughs> jumping out, getting you. When it comes to sexual assault, it's a random person that you don't know. But a lot of times, right. one of the myths is that. Folks think you don't know a person, but a lot of the times they do know a person. It is a person that is connected in some sort of way. There's a myth that folks think that men do not experience sexual assault. And that's a big myth because that happens. Those are two of the main ones that kind of stick out to me that folks think that just are impossible. They think it's impossible that you might know your assailant. They think it's impossible that men, oh, because they're men, right? They're bigger than women and they're this and masculine and all these kind of gender norms we have when it comes to to men and women about what we think takes place um, with the relationship between men and women. But it happens. It happens. So those are the biggest, the, the two biggest myths that I think of. What are some resources? I know mm-hmm. you mentioned therapy and group therapy, but is there changing the scenery that we have? Maybe moving out of the area? Like, what are some resources and organizations that we can be a part of to kind of bring in some type of support and unity? Hmm. Let me think. Are you meaning like specifically on college campuses or just who like who's bringing the support, the the supportive folks or the survivor? I would say like as the survivor, what are some resources that they can use to pretty much create unity or gain support from other people? I know we mentioned group therapy, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know if there were other resources. Maybe maybe it's best to move from your place to create a new environment or 
I don't know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. maybe you, it's important to change schools I, I mm-hmm. don't, in mm-hmm. colleges. So as far as resources are concerned, sometimes there are things set up in place. Once you do make officials aware, upper administration aware, Title mm-hmm. IX aware, law enforcement aware mm-hmm. on college campuses, there are things that can be put into place, such as campus police escorts. You can often switch your dorms you can provide shuttle buses there are emergency phones some schools do self-defense workshops having that counselor that you meet with on a regular basis a lot of schools don't have support groups for things such as sexual assault domestic violence dating violence and stalking but interesting you know advocating for that and advocating for there to be something on campus there are a lot of interim measures that can happen there can be Mm -hmm. emergency protective orders on campus persona non gratas which are emergency protective orders there can be something put into place where you go to eat at the cafe at 12 p.m but another person who the person who's a perpetrator has to go eat at another time so that you all don't cross paths and different things like that so there are quite a few interim measures not to say they all work but they're Mm -hmm. there and I definitely encourage anybody in a situation to utilize it and to its fullest extent because it is there for for survivors protection and sometimes at the end of the day sometimes switching schools is just what it is and Mm that sometimes it's what it is because survivors don't often feel supported or heard um and so it's like, uh, law enforcement treated me this, mm-hmm. faculty and staff treated me this way, upper administration is acting like um, this and that, I'm out of here. And that mm-hmm. it's unfortunate, but that right. sometimes just what is just what happens. And right, or sometimes students don't even come back to school. They go home, wow. I need to take a semester off, and they don't even return anymore. I've I've dealt with yeah. students who mm-hmm. have that has been their reality, unfortunately. But um, yeah. Wow. So you mentioned wow. That's it kind of struck me in terms of the lack of resources that some universities and colleges don't have you mm-hmm. know, for people, uh, men and women who just a student body who is in need, yeah. especially certain workshops and yeah. support and help. I know, especially it's it will be interesting to see if we do transition into going back to colleges um, and not doing things online, how or what will be in place for the betterment of the students because if there's oh, yeah. no student body there's there's no school yeah. there isn't a college or university mm-hmm. so what in the midst of all of these traumatic situations mental health crises all these things that are layers upon layers of layers of things that should have been taught eons ago mm-hmm. like the advocacy i'm excited to see like who will support and who, like what steps will be taken for the support of the students? Mm-hmm. But you spoke about advocacy. What does it mean to be an advocate on ending? I don't know if the right terminology is to end sexual assault or to educate people, men and women, on this matter. I would say, and and you mean just a person in general? Yeah, just a person in general. I would say to first educate, we got to educate ourselves, right? Mm, right. We have to dispel some of the myths that we have in our head about sexual assault and sexual assault on college campuses. We have to dispel some of the things in our head when it comes to rape culture. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we, we are the people, if we don't know any better, we are the people that, like I said, say, well, why was she doing this? Why was she doing that? Right. Why was she getting in the car with him? Right. Asking all of those questions. So we have to definitely educate ourselves. And I often find that a lot of folks 
just don't know a lot about what's going on. I, I know when I per- post certain things, especially when it comes to violence against women, folks are like, wow, like, is that really happening? Like, yes, yes. it very <laughs> it really much is. is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much so. So the first thing I would say for a person to be an advocate is to 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 educate themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next thing would be to find out how you can get involved, find out what it is you can do, educate the next person, learn what it is you can, and then... Know, spread some knowledge to the next person and advocate starts by believing and that's the thing like <laughs> I don't need to know anything about any details you tell me something happened to you you tell me you've been violated yeah. I believe you like right, offer up yeah. like I believe you that's just what it is so yeah changing your mind frame different things of that nature and advocacy is also checking folks who we know do the things an advocate doesn't sit around and let things happen or let folks keep um, yes. harming others like talk to talk to when it when it comes to student body presidents call them mm-hmm. out call out fraternities and sororities that may be harming folks call out your friends call out yourself like you can't yeah. sit back and be quiet on on um, matters of this you, you, you just you just can't you can't be an advocate or you can't be for people or for women and your closed mouth about things oh, of this nature wow. yeah. And oftentimes people are probably closed mouth because they don't know what to say. Or the big thing is that folks are closed mouth, especially when it when it comes to men, because they, too, have done some things mm-hmm. in their day and in college that uh, you didn't get consent and you didn't go about that the right way. And that's when I say that's, you know, checking ourselves and being like, yo, ooh, that wasn't good. That Now I understand why that could be seen as this. I have to do better now that I know better. Let me educate the next person. Yes. No, wow. it's good. It's part of almost reminds me of paying it forward. Yeah, exactly. That's something. good. Yeah. And then you you pay it forward, you pass it on to the next person. That's how mm-hmm. the word gets around. Right. And the education gets around being able to like you said just kind of like pay it forward in that sense of the matter cuz this this is not a this is a topic that does not need to get unnoticed. We need we need more advocates to be able to spread the word and stand help support one another. Right. And there's and one one thing I'll say too is that when it comes to college campuses and the work I've done being an advocate and also being a prevention education coordinator, students come with everything, right? Students come from all yeah. sorts of different backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, locations geographic areas all of that right and they bring their trauma and so when it comes to upper administration law enforcement staff and faculty that's why we have to be so trauma informed and to understand that this person probably endured so much trauma and who knows if they endured sexual assault or any other type of victimization from where they're from Mm -hmm. and their household and their community and so we have to keep an open mind that a lot of times when we do see isolation or we, when we do see certain things happen when students don't want to come back or they totally are not themselves and can't be that resilient survivor anymore is because that, like you said, those layers and layers of trauma that they've dealt with before they even get to college. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We, we, it's it's it's, it's a cold right. world out here. Exactly, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a cold world yeah, out here. People really come is. from crappy communities, crappy families, crappy parents, and then we compound that with dealing with crap in higher education. Like, right. <laughs> how did like that's a lot. Okay. So yeah. Okay, so I know you're in higher education. 
So how does faculty and administration, you know, get educated on being trauma informed and also being culturally competent? Yeah, that's a good question. So as staff, when I'm training faculty, when I'm training law enforcement and upper administration, there are Mm -hmm. specific trainings that we do when it comes to working with survivors of the LGBTQ population, working with survivors from the Caribbean population, from other continents, from black survivors, when it comes to different things, just working with people of color. I have had the opportunity to work at two HBCUs, but we all know that the black experience is not monolithic. And so that's another topic of how do we are training folks to understand that this person comes from this type of background that person is from that type of background but there is yes there's there's that goes along with it's it's not just okay this is how you talk to a survivor but it's also being culturally competent in general on college campuses and, and working with all sorts of folks that are on your campus yeah yeah, no, that was great. Well, first, I just really wanted to say thank you for you this are. conversation. It was very much needed and mm-hmm. highly appreciated, especially with it being a part two. I feel like this kind of hones into colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. And where the gap lies is misunderstanding and the lack of education. Yeah. Um, and as educators, our role is to educate. So the fact that you are you're passionate about educating and spreading forth that knowledge so that more people know and are not ignorant when something like this occurs and it's that they're supporting the people that have endured this traumatic um, event and backing up in any way shape or form that they can for justice so we thank you thank you thank you for that Thank you. Um, You're welcome. You're welcome. So in closing, we pretty much want to ask, where do we go from here? How does someone reintroduce or how do we reintroduce healthy love practices so that this is not their story, but it's a part of their journey? Hmm. Great question. Definitely think it goes back to kind of like that conversation you've had with Sam from PADV, which Mm -hmm. PADV is an awesome community partner. They sit on our CCRT, which is Coordinated Community Response Team for Spelman College. Sam and and the whole crew at PADV are awesome community partners that our students can utilize their resources for free. But it goes back to when we talk about or when you had the conversation with them, which I'm sure they probably talked about that kind of relationship spectrum where you have healthy, unhealthy and abusive kind of characteristics of a relationship. And it's really talking about an understanding what healthy means, what unhealthy looks like and what abusive looks like, because I think a lot of times we misconstrue all of that if we don't know any better and we think that something as simple as control over, oh, I give my passwords away, or oh, they have to always check my phone. We think that that's love and care, right? And it can often be seen as unhealthy and then further lead to abusive characteristics. So I think it's understanding and, and redefining what a healthy, unhealthy, and abusive relationship looks like and really diving deep into that so that we can say, okay, this is what I thought was okay. But this is what it is. And a lot of times when we're reframing our mind, I often think back and just to like be transparent about myself. It was something like 
domestic violence was never something I saw growing up. So mm-hmm. it was often, I had to try to figure out, well, why did I think this was okay? Never saw it growing up. My parents respected one another, mm-hmm. didn't have this sort of framework that love had to hurt or anything like that. So where did I get that from? And those were some things I had to dig deep within myself and figure out. But that's what I mean. Like we have to totally, completely erase what we think or what we know to be a healthy relationship and find out what it really is and why we think things are okay that shouldn't be okay and vice versa right. wow that was good that was good so in wrapping up we had dorian to kind of just touch on the topic of friends point of views victim point of views just our education and where do we go from here right we know that this is a very touchy topic and we know that you do not have to feel alone there's resources out there and there's people that genuinely care about you and are willing to advocate for you guys so again dorian we thank you for being a part of a mental moment yes this was a very 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 good and informative second part of sexual assault on college campuses and we just thank you for just giving it a space for us to learn continue to learn and not make assumptions on this topic either you know breaking taking away the taboo in it taking away the stigma of it so yeah we just thank you for being a part thank you for just thank you (laughs) (laughs) and I want to thank you all too thank you for even allowing this to be a topic we don't often you know this is a this is like you said it's taboo folks don't want to touch it I don't want to touch sexual assault Mm -hmm. I don't want to touch it I ain't touching that you know what I mean I don't know what to say I don't know (laughs) you know that's not my business when it is our business that's that's another that's you know that's a main one that we can throw back in there when it comes to a person advocating for another person is yes it is your business what Mm -hmm. happens act being an active bystander I digress, but yes, thank you all for for making this um, right. (laughs) Thank you all for making this uh, a relevant topic and a topic for your podcast. I appreciate it, and thank you for for finding and thinking of me. No, absolutely. Thank you again. We thank you for tuning in to a Mental Moment podcast with Jaya and C. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Mental Moment Podcast. And as always, we love to chat with you on Twitter and hear how you've enjoyed the show at underscore mental moment a mental moment all you need is a mental moment take a breather before you blow it don't hold it in posture or pretend just releasing you feel far better within a mental moment hey all you need is a mental moment a mental moment with jaya and see